This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, Troubled the Waters, where we're looking at passages where the people of God get in trouble. Sometimes they get in trouble for doing the wrong things, and sometimes they get in trouble for being faithful, and that's what happens in our passage this morning. We'll be looking at a passage from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to her, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crown joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds, and then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go, and the jailer reported the message to Paul, saying, The magistrates sent word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Paul replied, They have beaten us in public, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and now they are going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. 
After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home, and when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a couple of weeks ago, our preschool offered a really wonderful opportunity for parents in our church and parents in our preschool. They offered a class on conscious discipline, which is a, a, a sort of a new, innovative way of, of helping to, your child to grow and discipline your child. It's a little bit different than maybe the traditional ways of, of, of child development, using social and emotional cues. Children are, are taught to, to let discipline grow within themselves instead of discipline being something that parents do to children. Discipline is something that is supposed to be nurtured into a child so that they can use cues about safety, cues about connections, so that they can learn how to problem solve themselves. It's a wonderful class and a wonderful opportunity. A lot of our parents here got to take advantage of it, and I hope when we offer it again, many of you will be able to take advantage of it again. I share that with you because I know my parents had no idea about anything called conscious discipline when I was growing up. They used a much more traditional style of discipline when I got in trouble. Usually my, my brother and I would, would get in trouble, we would do something, and, and, and immediately we would go to our parents and plead our case like we were pleading before a judge, and they would decide immediately what our punishment should be. If my brother got punished and I didn't, I would usually kind of laugh gleefully that I got away with something, and, and vice versa if I got in trouble. But then in those rare occasions, we, they would be so frustrated, they would just put send both of us into our rooms and that's usually what the punishment was some sort of time out being sent to our rooms some sort of restriction where we couldn't play with our toys or or maybe even when we were older some sort of restrictions like we couldn't we were grounded and couldn't go out with our friends so when we were in our rooms together, we would kind of peek through the cracks of the doorways and start to talk about how long we had to stay in our rooms before we could go and ask our parents for an early parole, you know, to get out of our rooms and to get our freedom back. And usually he and I would both go together after we had been in our rooms for just a few minutes and, and plead our case once again, saying that we were learned our lesson and were ready to come out of our rooms. And once again, our parents would have to decide if the timing was right. And usually there were three conditions that we would have to meet in order to be spelled from our rooms. One was we had to agree that we would never do that incorrect behavior again. We would correct any behavior that we had done wrong. Of course, we lied and said that would, we would never do it again. The second thing is if we had broken anything in our arguing and our fighting, if, if it was possible as it depended on us and our resources that we would try to fix that or pay for that. But then finally, most difficult of all, we had to apologize to each other. And often that apology involved some sort of hug or a handshake or worse of all, the words, I love you. Now, I've got a lot of pictures of my brother and I from when we were children hugging each other. And you can see by the look on our faces that our arms are in it, but our spirits are not. We didn't enjoy having to hug each other or say I love you, only in the rarest occasions when we had to do that. So often we would be so frustrated we would just go right back in our rooms. Because the truth is, there are times when there are things worse than getting into trouble. Our passage this morning, Paul and Silas get into trouble. 
And this passage where Paul and Silas get into trouble for being faithful really gives us a new opportunity, a new definition, a new understanding of what it means to be free. The story begins with Paul and Silas. They're traveling around the Mediterranean. They're teaching and preaching and bringing people to the church, bringing people to Jesus Christ. And they get it to uh, Philippi, a place where they had been before, and they are teaching again, and they meet this young slave girl, a young girl who has some sort of ailment, some sort of possession, as it says in the Bible. We don't know exactly what it is, but what we do know is this slave girl is making money for the people who own her. They are exploiting her. If it was in modern day times, we would say that it was some sort of trafficking or exploitation. They were making money off of her. She was nothing more than a way of, of economic growth for their, them and their families. And so Paul and Silas were so angry about this situation, so annoyed with this young girl, that, that Paul calls on the name of God to, to heal this young woman so that she could be set free from whatever ailment, whatever uh, possession she had. And, and in the moment, she was healed, and, and it was a wonderful thing. The people of God who saw this were, were probably astounded once again at the miracle that had taken place, that God's will and God's power had been glorified. All except for the two people who owned this young slave woman. They had just lost a source of their income, and it made them angry. Now, to be fair, back in the Mediterranean world, in the Roman world, there were lots of different religious freedoms and lots of different types of religious at the time. And so Paul and Silas probably could practice their religion as long as they were preaching, as long as they were teaching, as long as they were pointing to heaven, maybe even calling on people to, to donate their money to charitable causes at times. All of those things were fine. But when you start meddling with how people make their living... When you start meddling with how people make money, well, you've gone to meddling. You're causing trouble. And these two men must have had a lot of friends because they called out Paul and Silas. Their friends got together. They dragged them into the city center. They beat them. They threw them in stocks and threw them in prison. Now, this is where I learned very quickly how different I am than Paul and Silas. Because number one, I would probably try to avoid the trouble altogether. But if my being faithful to God had gotten me in trouble, I probably in those moments would have gotten pretty angry at God. Ask God, why, if I'm being faithful, are you allowing me to get in trouble like this, to be thrown in prison like this? But that's not what Paul and Silas do. They're thrown in their prison cell with their freedoms taken away. All you can hear are the sweet songs of hymns being sung. The sweet prayers that can be heard all throughout the prison. Paul and Silas continuing to be faithful to God in spite of the fact that they are being punished. In spite of the fact that they are in trouble. And somehow the Holy Spirit must have heard those prayers because as you know from the story, a huge powerful earthquake comes and shakes the, wall of those, the walls of that jail cell, shakes the walls of that prison so that the doors fly wide open and Paul and Silas have their freedom. And it's there in that moment where we really start to learn what freedom is all about. Because that's when the jailer comes back in. The jailer, the one who had the keys, the one who had the authority, the one who had all the power, the one who was free, comes in and realizes that all the doors of the jail are open. And he becomes afraid. 
He's afraid that he's about to get in trouble. And so this man who has the keys to the prison has just lost his freedom because he's afraid of what's about to happen to him. It teaches us that freedom in many ways is illusion for, an illusion for us. Freedom in many ways is just a state of mind. And I wonder how many of us would be like that jailer who think we're free. We think we've been given all the things that we need. We think we've been free because of Jesus Christ. But truly we have worries and concerns, fears about getting in trouble that hold us back from being the people that God wants us to be. I used this illustration years ago. It's one that still has stuck in my mind. But I have been told that elephant trainers in other parts of the world who use elephants for work and things like that, the way that they train elephants is that when they're little babies still growing up, they tie the leg of the elephant to a tree, a tree that is big and stout and cannot be pulled out of the ground. And so for a few moments, the elephant pulls and stretches and fights, does everything it can to try to get free from that tree but then finally realizes it's stuck and can't move. But you see, elephants have powerful memories. Have you heard that before? They have powerful memories, and so as these elephants grow up and get bigger and stronger, they still remember that time when they were a child tied to a tree. And so the elephant trainers, as the elephants get older, and they want the elephants to stay in one place, can just knock a little stake in the ground, tie the elephant to that stake, and as soon as the old elephant pulls his foot, he thinks, I'm stuck. Even though that great big elephant could pull that stake right out of the ground, he thinks, I'm stuck. I'm captive. I think that happens to us like that jailer in that prison cell. We think of all the things around us that we could lose when we get into trouble. Whether it be our friendships, whether it be our respect, whether it be our accolades, whether it be our money. And we realize we're not really free at all. This jailer was so afraid of what he was about to lose that he is about to take his own life. When all of a sudden he hears a faint voice deep within the jail. It's Paul saying, we're still here. Don't hurt yourself. Paul and Silas, who were for all intents and purposes free, the doors of the prison were open. They could have left any time they wanted to. They were still there. Because you see, they had been free the whole time. Because you see, for Paul and Silas, freedom was linked to faithfulness. They could not be free if they were not being faithful. Once they surrendered to Jesus Christ, they knew they never had to surrender to anybody else ever again. Paul and Silas were free. And that's why they stayed right where they were. It was not about their location. It was about their faithfulness to God. Karl Barth says something similar in a little essay he wrote years ago about uh, the gift of freedom. He says that God, our faithfulness in God, or our relationship with God, not only gives us freedom from sin, freedom from the expectations of this world, but it also makes us free for. Not just free from sin, but free for others. Free for faithfulness. And we could see examples of that all throughout the Christian faith, this freedom for others. 
that's not based on the consequences of getting in trouble. I've tell, shared these stories with you before, stories like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was in Germany during Nazi, the, the Nazi Germany, but decided because of a great gift of a friend of his who helped him get to the United States, came to the United States to become a professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York. He was safe there and happy there at the encouragement of his family and friends, but something in the back of his mind said, no, I'm not being faithful by abandoning all of my family and my friends back over there in Germany. And so he went back to be faithful, to be faithful to God and faithful to those people in need. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested 29 times, 29 times in order to fight for civil rights. And let's not forget the one that we're all here for, Jesus Christ, who could have gotten out of trouble anytime he wanted to, who could have used the power of God to get off of that cross, but for some reason decided to be faithful there and stay there. That's the story of faithfulness. Faithfulness is linked to freedom, and we are not truly free unless we surrender to God and be faithful to God. Now I have to tell you, we are very grateful, I am very grateful to live in a country where I don't have to face persecution every single day to worship the way I want to, to be the person that I believe God calls me to be, and yet that doesn't mean that I can't get in trouble for my faith from time to time. That doesn't mean that there aren't times where I have to make tough decisions about who God has called me to be, and will I be faithful to that God, or will I be fearful? like that jailer who was holding those keys and worried he's about to get in trouble. I worry about what will happen if I get in trouble. Will my parents forsake me? Will my friends forsake me? Will my church forsake me? Will I lose all of those resources that somehow I hold dear? Will I lose all of those things realizing that, well, maybe I'm not that free at all? I've told you this story years ago. It's a story that from my family that... Uh, that has shaped our family for, for generations. It's the story of my Uncle Vern, who was a senator in South Carolina. I think I told you this maybe the first year that I was here as your minister. He was a senator in South Carolina, but he owned a, a tire company right there in our hometown. He was the manager and gr built himself up till he finally bought the business and owned it. But when he was still the manager in the 1950s, the tire exchange was right there beside the bus station in town. And when the buses came into town, the bus station did not have restrooms for people who were black. And so they had to struggle all over town to find a place to use the bathroom so that they could get back on the bus and go to their next destination. Well, finally, my Uncle Vern decided that this was silly and these people who were black should be able to come in and use the restroom at his, his business, the tire exchange. And almost immediately, word spread all throughout our little town that they were allowing black people to use the bathrooms at the tire exchange. Friends of his came in and said, Vern, you don't want this trouble. Why are you doing this? Other people came in and said, we're going to stop trading and using your business if you keep doing this. And so he had to pray about it, worry about it, that he was going to put his family in jeopardy, put his business in jeopardy, put his livelihood in jeopardy just to try to do what he thought was right. But finally, after praying and, and thinking, he woke up the next morning and realized very resolutely that he had to do what he had to do. And so the next person that came into the tire exchange and said, I'm not going to trade with your business if you keep doing this, 
his response was very simply, I guess I'll have to make it without you. Could have gotten in some trouble. But he also wanted to be faithful. I want to end this sermon like I... Uh, with the question that I ask you nearly every single Sunday is how is God calling us to be faithful? God calls us to be faithful every single day in lots of different types of ways. Some of those ways of being faithful should bring us joy, but some of those ways of being faithful will be difficult. Some of those ways of being faithful will bring people towards us, draw people to us, and some of those ways of being faithful might keep people at arm's length force us to make tough decisions. Some of those ways of being faithful will make us a stronger church. Other ways of being faithful will get us into a lot of trouble. But you know, as I said before, there are worse things than getting into trouble. We cannot be free if we are not faithful. To the glory of God. Amen.